electronic ushers. They're coming forward as I speak. And all you have to do is take out your electronic device and just write something in there. There's a number. You just punch that in. I don't know how it all works, but just trust me, it does because the bills get paid. So you guys have figured it out. So you can give online that way. And thank you so much for doing so. And may the Lord continue to bless you as you do. If you have a Bible handy, and I pray that you do, that you can open it with me to 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning. We're going to pick it up in verse 8 through verse 12 here today. This series that I've titled Hope in the Dark, because that's why Peter wrote this epistle, is to give us hope in the midst of dark days in our life, situations that we all face and just don't see how we're going to get to the other side of it. This is written to encourage us, not to discourage it. And uh, I titled this morning's message, How to Love Your Life. And uh, I hope that it speaks to you like it has to me. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you like charts? Does anybody like charts that's here? We got a few of you. Yeah. I am not a chart person. And I'll, I'll explain to you why I have a, a fear. Usually something happens in your life and you you have an experience with something, you either like it or you don't, and mine was a negative experience. But uh, in 1 Peter 3 here, we, we've got a kind of a, a chart of sorts, you might say, uh, that we can check our progress uh, in our relationship with God. And it's important to note, though, as we get into this this morning, that this isn't a list that you would read or check off to see if you're saved or not. Uh, this is a list that you would use after you're saved, to see about your development in the Lord. And there's a big difference there because oftentimes people will, you know, they'll, they'll look for a list and I go, okay, this is what it means, you know, that I must not be saved. But the Bible is very explicit. We are saved by God's grace through faith and not of works, right? Which any man can boast. Our, our salvation is a gift from God. And that's important to note right away. Otherwise, you look at this and you're going, oh, man, you know, where, where, where am I at? But you can also look at it in a positive note. If you see things today and you go, man, I'm just not really measuring up in my development or in my growth um, as a progress report. Just know this, his word says that he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. See, no two people are alike, right? Have you ever, have you ever planted a garden or planted trees or anything in your yard? You water them both the same, right? You look at them one day after they've matured, and one of them's tall and the other's short, and you go, I don't get it. You know, I, they were side by side. I watered them the same. I planted the exact same time, but they grew differently. And then really, that's true in all of our lives. And so we're not called to live our lives by comparison to one another, but the comparison of Christ. Peter, though, gives us these nine marks of maturity, you might say, here in chapter three. And like I said, it's, it's like reading a chart to identify where you're at, maybe in a specific point in time in your development. I'll give them to you if you're a note taker and you can write them down and then you can pick them up as we go along here. Uh, these are the things that, uh, that really mark the life of a mature believer. This is what it's talking about. And so you can kind of look at your own life as I look at mine uh, here. And number one would be unity of purpose in verse eight. It's cooperation in the midst of differences. And we'll talk about that. Number two is sympathetic in nature from verse eight, a willingness to forget yourself and to identify with the pain and the sorrow of other people. Number three is brotherly affection. Also in verse eight, we love because look around, we're family. That's why we love nothing more, nothing less. Number four is tenderhearted. Verse eight, we're moved by compassion. We have a soft heart. God is giving us a soft heart, not a hard heart. The world we know will make our hearts hard. Number five, a humble spirit in verse eight. And that's, that just means I'm dependent upon God, really, in the truest sense. It's a desire to serve and not be served. Number six is a forgiving heart in verse nine. Not just wanting to, to not retaliate, but it's actually wishing well to people that have harmed you or have done ill towards you. Uh, when you've reached the place where you can bless them instead of curse them, uh, you've reached a, a very mature place in Christ. Number seven, a controlled tongue in verse 10 means that you refrain from gossip or saying things that will hurt the person that you're talking about. It's all you have to do. That's simple. You go, people, I don't know it was gossip. You go, well, what you were saying, was it beneficial to the person who you were saying it about? And if it wasn't, that's gossip, Okay. That's hurtful. You go, you wouldn't want somebody to do that to you. That's what Peter is saying here. 
purity, number eight from verse 11. When you're able to talk the talk and what follows talking the talk, walking the walk. Yeah, when they start to match up in your life, that's when you've reached a place of purity. You're not just talking about wanting to change. You're actually seeing the change. Your talk is starting to match your walk. And, and unfortunately, our talk will be way ahead of our walk for a period of time. Would you agree with that? Yeah, but that's things where you'll hear people talk about positive confession. And there is a truth in that you know, about aiming high and then setting that bar and then walking towards it. And then number nine, the last one that you see here that Peter lays out as a measurement tool for us is being a peacemaker there in verse 11. Just what it is. Blessed are the peacemakers, not a peacekeeper. Sometimes making peace involves war, but uh, uh, it's not the way that some of us might think here today. The way that we war in the kingdom of heaven is on our knees, uh, not with a sword. And so, why is it so important to cultivate these characteristics you might be thinking this morning in your life? It's found there in verse 12, where it says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You know, I, I can say this, we all want God's grace, amen? Not his opposition. So the question, as we get going here this morning, as we open up in prayer, is where are you at? When you look at these nine things, you know, where are, do you measure up? That's a chart for you to look at this morning. Those are the things from Scripture that God places before us. And he invites us, as Paul would remind us in 1 Corinthians 11, right? He says, before we receive communion, we're to examine ourselves to see if we actually are in the faith here. Now, Peter's not saying to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. What he's saying is these are the things that will become evident, like the fruit of God's Spirit in your life, once you're in the faith. This doesn't get you into the faith. This is what will happen once you're in the faith. And that's a good thing because you might be here today going, man, none of those things are evident in my life. And you go, well, the invitation is one is get in the faith. How do we do that? That's by confessing that I'm a sinner and Jesus is a savior, that he came to save us. And that if, as I surrender my life to him and he begins to live his life through me, these are the natural, these are the characteristics that will begin to come out of my life and your life by virtue of just simply hanging around him. That's why the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. But if you're hanging around Jesus, these are the things that you can expect to begin to happen in, in your life. And we'll take a moment here. Let's pray. Father, we, we just thank you as we study your word this morning. Uh, Lord, you do. You challenge us at times. Lord, you encourage us all the time. changes us. And so thank you, Lord, for giving us Bibles. Thank you that we have a Bible that we can own. There's so many places in the world where you can't even own a Bible today that it's illegal. And we're seeing it even in our own country, trying to remove the Bible from schools and hospitals and hotel rooms, any place where Bibles have been. Uh, because the enemy of our soul knows, the adversary knows that the truth will know and the truth will set us free. And so I thank you for these that are here, these that are online today watching. Lord, may your word go forth in power. May it go forth in might. May it transform and change us. May we become everything, Lord, that you desire us to be. And so, Lord, we give our hearts to you afresh this morning and ask you, Lord, to do this work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so I began this morning telling you that I don't particularly like uh, charts, and there's a reason why. I was um, in college. I... I uh, went to division one school as a punter. And when I got there, the coach got fired. And so they hired a new coach in the spring and it was during spring training. And um, they had a new position coach and the, I was a punter and the coach brought us in. There was four of us and he sat us down in his office and he had these big two by three uh, cards and they had things written on them. And he took them out and he, he taped them up to the chalkboard in his office. And one of them said uh, high school, and the other said junior college, and the other said uh, division one, and then the last one said NFL. And it had all these listings. Uh, it said things like the 40-yard dash, what your time was, what your, how much you could lift in a uh, bench press, how much you could squat, how much you could do in a leg press. 
and then what your, your average you know, uh, kick was, and then what your hang time was. And he had these all listed. And so he didn't know us and we didn't know him. So he introduced himself and then he went around the room and he said, you know, uh, introduce yourself, tell me a little bit about yourself. And then I want you to look at these charts and I want you to tell me where do you see yourself on this chart right now? So I can gauge where you're at today. So everybody went, I was the last one that went. And I said, my name's Mike Ostheimer from Bakersfield, California. And looks like I'm packing my bags. And he goes, uh, why is that? And I go, well, if I go by your little list chart series. So I go, I'm heading for the NFL. And uh, he goes, oh, you think so? And I go, I didn't write the chart. I go, you did. And uh, <clears throat> so I spent the next day showing him based on his chart that I was definitely headed for the NFL. And so um, as I shared with you before, you know, I had a coach in high school that, you know, he used an example of a bucket and he had a bucket of water and he, and he said, you know, you can make a lot of noise. And he stuck his hand there and he, and he pulled it out. And he said, he goes, do you see the hole that's left there? And you'd look and there's no hole there. You know, and he goes, exactly. And he goes, and that's the hole that you're going to leave with all your splashing around, you know, that you make. And when you, we pull you out, he goes, there's not going to be a hole there. It'll fill it. It'll fill itself up. And he goes, so my high school coach said, you know, you can either be an asset on this team or you can be an asset on the bench. And that stuck with me in that moment because about three days after I had that communication with my high school or excuse me, my college coach, <clears throat> I was packing my bags heading for home, not the NFL. I had learned really quick, I became an asset on the bench. And it was one of those things where I went, charts, I hate charts. I've never liked charts since that moment in my life. And so when I look at this all week long, I've lived in fear. I'm just going to be honest with you. I look at this and I, I feel like even reading this chart, I feel like I felt all the way back. And that's why it brought me back to that. It was in college. Because you look at this and you go, wow, is that who I am today? Can, can you look at that list and go that you, I mean, you just, this morning you go, you know, you're, you've sat, did, I don't know of anybody, and in, 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 and I hope that you could, that you could say, basically, as you're listening to me right now, you went, you know, I, I heard you, Pastor Mike, read those nine things off that list. And I was thinking, why doesn't he just say amen so I can go home? Because, man, I have nailed this Christian thing, and I am living this, you know. All of it is, is a reflection of my life. But we all fall short in, in many ways. But it's the goal of our life. It's, and to understand this, it's not me who does it. It's not you who does it. It's not because you're going to go out and practice and practice and practice. It's he who has begun this good work in you. That's the, really the reminder this morning as we look at this together. You know, again, 1 Peter 5.5 5 reminds us, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's so important, you know, as we look at this this morning. And so as you do that, like I said, in 1 Peter 2, in if you go all the way back to 1 Peter 2.11, all the way to 1 Peter 3.7, Peter's dealing with how we're supposed to live our, our lives in this world stage that we all live in. You know, the world is watching us. That, that's what Peter wants us to understand. And that's why he talked about submission, submission to the government, submission to our employers. Then he got into submission between a wife and then submission even to a husband and all these things. And, and again, understanding this, you know, that he finally comes to this this verse here in, in verse eight, and he says, and finally, and what he's saying with that, he says, finally, as if you look at that, you know, he says, it means as to sum up all that I've been saying. So everything that he's been saying before this, all about submission and all about how we relate to one another. Now he goes to a fourth group and he's, it's really, he's talking about the church today. How do we relate to one another? And so as you look at this, he says in verse eight, he says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, and be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to the prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, you know what's interesting in this? It was in around 220 AD. There was a church historian by the name of Tertullian, and, and he wrote that the Roman government was so suspicious of Christian churches in that time that because of the fact that they were growing so rapidly, they were impacting Rome. And so they sent in spies into the churches to see what they were doing and to report back to the government. 
And one of the spies reported back the following statement. And this is pretty amazing. He said, these Christians are very strange people. They meet in an empty room to worship. They have no image. They speak of one by the name of Jesus who is absent, but whom they seem to be expecting at any moment. And my, how they love him and how they love one another. What a report. And it changed, if you study you know, world history, it changed an entire civilization. It changed Rome. Christianity, I mean, broke through the hardness. I mean, you talk about a world that was a, is antagonistic. I mean, remember, you know, they perfected crucifixion. They perfected the torture of Christians. Talk about the outward expression and the outward hatred. And yet somehow, some way, it wasn't fighting back the way that, you know, we want to do today, you know, in our world and in our country. But no, it was fighting back through love. Love was a, is a weapon that is unconquerable. Love, in the truest sense, in the end, we'll see, love really does conquer all. For God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The power of love. You know, Jesus summed up the whole law, didn't he? With one word, he said, you can fulfill the, the whole law, all the law and the commandments. He said, by doing what? Loving God, right? And then loving what? Your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, love, love. Jesus said this in John 13, 35. He says, all men will know you are my disciples because you have what? You have love one for another. So important. So what do we find? You know, as we, we see this, you know, here's the, the charts, you know, that you might say, uh, as you look at these, there, there's really five things that, that we can pull from this. The first thing that he tells us that we can do is be of one mind. Look at that. He says, you know, again, be of one mind. By this, you know, again, go back there to, to uh, verse uh, 12. And you see, what is he telling us there? That, again, be of one mind, be, or the word you might say, like-minded. Some translations will say, be like-minded. I don't know what your translation says, but it tells us that, what? Is it possible then? Yes, it's absolutely possible to be like-minded. You know, most of us would probably define like-mindedness as what? As someone agrees with you, not that you necessarily agree with them. It's that, it's that it's they agree with you. But that's not unity. The Bible doesn't teach us that. that. That's what we would say is uniformity. You know, there we can have differences of opinions. Do you think that there's a difference of opinion here this morning in the sanctuary? Let's talk about politics for a second. Anybody want to do that? Yeah. Do you think we'd have a little bit of a difference of, of opinions? I mean... We see families dividing over. We see friends dividing over, right? You go, and it's okay to have differences of opinion. Where the problem comes, you know, is that when someone thinks theirs is, their position is superior to the other and then becomes what? Well, well, we'll see about what happens, you know, with our tongue. And all of a sudden, you know, we berate or, you know, we begin to argue and we begin to put down or, you know, you bash somebody. And that's what we're seeing. And even in our culture today, we wouldn't say that the dialogue that really is taking place is Christian, right? No, it's anything but that. And so even as Christians, what happens is, you know, we withdraw, you know, from it and, and as a, instead of engaging in it. You know, I heard, you know, Pastor Skip Heitzig said, if two people agree on, on everything, one of them isn't thinking. And that's probably a really, really good statement. You know, again, we, we all have different views, even theologically. You know, I mean, we have differences of opinion in this church on the end times. Some don't believe in the rapture. They believe in the second coming, but they don't believe in the rapture of the church. And you go, well, in the end, you know, we still believe the same thing. We're all going to be together with Jesus. Amen. We still believe in the essentials that it's, you know, faith in God, the nature of God, uh, the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross for our sins. The fact that we're sinners and, and we need a savior. I mean, those are the essential things. The hills you could say to die on, but there are, there are lesser things that, you know, what day of the week should we worship on? You know, that isn't, that isn't a hill to die on. You know, people make that out to be, but it's not, you know, uh, things that we should eat, you know, and what we should drink and all these things, those can become hills to die on, but they're not for the Lord, but you can see what they do constantly in the body of Christ. They bring division where there's not love. And so uh, again, has the church always agreed? Go back, you know, and just read your Bible. No. Like I said, the church has, has argued over things I just mentioned. You know, 
Should meat be sacrificed to idols? You know, should we keep the Sabbath? Which widows should we care for and which widows should we not care for? I mean, there, were, there was debates over everything. Uh, Paul and Barnabas over John Mark, you know, and should he go or should he not go? I mean, things that people might say are petty, but they're things that you and I face today. You know, God doesn't hide it in the scripture. You know, we are going to have disagreements. You know, the, the apostles, they argued what? They argued over who was the greatest in the kingdom of, of God. And who got to sit next to Jesus? I mean, again, the same struggles that they had then are the same struggles that we have today. The human heart is wicked. It's deceitful, the Bible says, and above all things, who can know it? You know, it's been well said that the church is a lot like Noah's Ark. Were it not for the flood on the outside, you sometimes couldn't stand the stench on the inside. And, and it really is true, you know. But, you know, God isn't calling us to think alike, but he is calling us to have one mind. He is calling us to unity and to have unanimity. It's you, unanimity is that place when you go, you know what, I don't agree, but for the sake of unity, uh, I'm going to go with it. And, and that takes a mature person because everybody has an opinion. I mean, you can't think of how many, how many people have been wounded by other Christians and go, well, I don't agree with, you know, what we do here, and I don't agree with what we do here, and I don't. It's like, what does your opinion matter? Because if you think about what you did in sharing your opinion, look at, I mean, think about how many people you know, that aren't in my life today because of someone else going, hey, this is the, my opinion on this and we should do this and this and this and this. And, they, and they're being used of, of the enemy to create division amongst the, the body of Christ. Well, what, what, is, what is the accuser of the brethren? That, that's that's the, the devil himself. He goes, we're not here to make accusation. You go, and if you do have a problem with somebody, scripture is really clear on it. You do something in love. You go to that person. You go, we can never say it's love. You go, even if you said, well, what I said was true. Well, does, if, even if it was true, does it make it right to violate the scripture for your own, whatever you might want to call it? I don't know, but it's a, it's a, a violation of God's word because it can't be done in love. And that's really the highest ideal when you think about the highest measurement of our maturity is always going to be love, our love for the Lord and our love for one another. Jesus said, you can fulfill all the law and the prophets in that one thing. And, and again, we, we make it more complex than we need to. You know, the Apostle Paul gives us a great example in, in 1 Corinthians 12 about this diversity. I wrote about it this last week a couple times in devotionals. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 7, he says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. You know, we're called the body of Christ, but we're all different. We're all unique. We're like snowflakes. There's no two that are alike. And that's the way God intended it to be. You know, I share this this week. You know, I've shared with you constantly, you know, that we were all born originals. But unfortunately, most of us die copies. The world is trying to squeeze you into its mold. And God's going, no, I made you who you are. I made you unique. Celebrate who you are. Because you're celebrating God when you do that. And we all appreciate that when you meet somebody who just isn't worried about what the world is saying any longer. They're not driven and motivated by the things of this world. They've been set free by Jesus, and they find their freedom in him. The second thing that we see, if you're looking at this chart here this morning, is number two is having compassion. It's a Greek word where we get our English word sympathy from. It comes from two words, some or soon, and pathos, which means to feel. So it means having compassion. It means to feel the same thing now. It's, you know, has, has somebody not had compassion in the moment, but had it later, and then it really didn't do you much good? Yeah, so when, when, when the word talks about here, having compassion, and, and Peter's you know, sharing this with us, he, it's having compassion now. Be of the same mind now. See, he says, you know, First, he says, you know, Peter says, be of the same mind. And now he says, feel the same things now. So he takes it even deeper, which is interesting, you know, when you really think about this. You know, going, is there something deeper than being of one mind? And he goes, yeah, it's to feel the same things. It's not just thinking the same things, but feeling the same things. A good definition of sympathy might be this. Uh, your hurt in my heart. I have your hurt in my heart. You've ever had someone say, oh, that just pains my heart. 
you know, you'll tell them something that's really heavy or hard and that's, oh, man, that just hurts my heart. And you go, wow. Did and with, what are they expressing? They go, I, I feel, I, I'm sympathizing with what you're going through. And, and that's what scripture calls us to do. We're called to rejoice with them that rejoice, right? And we also call to what? Sorrow with them that sorrow. It's a lot easier to rejoice with people who rejoice in it, you know, than it is to sorrow with people that are sorrowing. You know, after a while, people, if people are always sorrowing, what do you do? They call you, <sighs> you know, voicemail. Can't take that call right now. One of the best things about technology, right, was voicemail, you know, because now you go, oh, I just, you know, man, I didn't get your message. I was busy. I was away from the phone. They go, how are you away from me? I see you with it all the time. Well, uh, it was, it wasn't with me. You know, maybe it was. I don't know. Romans 12, 15, just so that you note the verse there. He says, rejoice with those that rejoice. Weep with those that weep. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, Paul puts it this way. He says, if one member suffers, uh, all suffer. If one member is honored, we are all honored together. That's the thing about we're family. We're in this together. This is the body of Christ. Number three, on this chart that we're looking at here this morning, he says, love as brothers. You know, maybe a, a better translation is love as brothers should love, right? How many have a brother? Yeah, so you kind of, you know, it doesn't always work. You, you read that love as brothers. You might read that and go, boy, <laughs> you saw the love that me and my brother had. It was, a, it was like a barroom fight most of the time, you know. But what does Peter have in mind? He probably has his brother Andrew in mind. What did Andrew do? Andrew was responsible for bringing Peter to the Lord. He went and got his brother. We call this way. We have that call it Operation Andrew. You know, it's go go reach your family. You know, they had a brother that loved him. You know, First John three fourteen says, "We know that we have passed from death into life because what? Because we love our brothers." And who's he talking about? That's not just our physical brothers, but that's our brothers and our sisters in Christ, that there's a genuine love for the body of Christ. There's a genuine, I mean, and it's really funny. You think about, you know, all, all the little issues that people have, you know, in the body of Christ. It's going to be really funny, you know, because obviously we're going to be together for all eternity. But, you know, you go, and, and people in the body of Christ, I mean, I've seen people come, I see people go, you know, and stuff, and people, oh, we love you, I love you. And, you know, but you have no relationship with them whatsoever. Like one day you have a relationship with them, next day you don't. And, you know, so you start going, hmm. and you, you read verses like this, but people think that if they, you know, when they can't be loving, they, you, don't, you don't realize that, you know, this is the thing about, I'll jump almost to the, what the end of it is here this morning, is that in God's sovereignty, do you believe that everything that God does is an accident or do you think what he does is by divine providence you know and you have to decide that for yourself i mean is god in control of everything or did he just kind of get the game started and then you know he's like you know a teacher and then once you got them all active then you can you know you you can back off just a little bit you go no i i, I truly believe that god is active in every situation in life so if that's the case do you think that god is active in every relationship that's in your life is he using everything in your life to teach you something about him? Yeah. Is he, is he have people in your life to try to get you to avoid life or to avoid them? Or you go, no, not really. You would, if you really think about it, you go, he's, you know, it's iron sharpens iron. You know, it says one man, another. And so does he sharpen the countenance of his friend. You know, that God is using people in our lives to do what? To sharpen us, to make us better. And, and again, that doesn't mean, you know, again, that's what Peter's not saying. So everybody should just think alike. And, but that's what we want, isn't it? But we just like being around people who are easy to be around. We do not like to be around people who are difficult to be around. We will avoid them like the plague. And yet you just don't see Jesus doing that. You don't see the apostles doing that. But something's happened in our society today where we've disengaged, you know, we're not, we don't, we want comfort. We are taught to want comfort. We are seeking comfort in every aspect, in every way of our life. We don't like hard things. We don't like 
trials. We don't like tribulation. We don't like suffering. You know, we definitely don't like when James says, you know, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, right? You're going, that's not me. You know, it's like trials. No. But number four, he says, be tenderhearted. That, that Greek word here, it's really an interesting word. It's splogginous. I like it. And the reason I, I understand this word is because I, I like it. Because it, it, it means your guts or your intestines. So it's telling us, you know, that you would love one another, that you'd be tender-hearted. You think about it, that you would care about people uh, at the deepest level. That goes beyond, you know, when people say, oh, I love you with all my heart. Now, that's not what he was saying there in Scripture. He was saying, I love you with all of my intestines. I just want you to know, honey, I'm going to tell my wife today when I get home, well, she's watching right now, and Lee, I just want you to know, honey, I love you with all my guts. I love you with my liver. I love you with my kidney. I love you with my esophagus. I mean, you just think, you go, that just sounds gross, doesn't it? You go, but so we just say heart, you know, but to be tender hearted, you know, and what Peter is talking about here is when you're thinking about, you know, people and thinking about being tender hearted, you know, we will use that expression like, hey, go with your gut, right? You ever say that? You ever tell some, somebody that? Yeah, just go with your gut. What's your gut? What's your gut telling you? And if we do that, your gut's going, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I have, don't have the gift of, of gut interpretation. You know, is that a spiritual gift? I, I, have, I have no idea. But uh, again, what, what is it saying? In, in other words, to be tenderhearted is to what? It means that you're deeply concerned about others that you feel. I mean, can you feel things in your gut? You go, absolutely. I mean, I do not like heights. Okay. I mean, if I, if I get on heights, my, I feel it in my gut. I'm not going to go into all the explanation of what I feel, but I feel it in my entire, well, I do. I can look at pictures from heights. I'll be on Instagram. Seriously. I mean, call me a wimp, whatever. I can be looking at a picture like someone yesterday was sitting on the edge of a cliff, right? And it was like 3,000 feet down, like to the thing. And I looked at it and I got, I had to move, I had to change it. I had to just like, I don't like the feeling. I was like, oh, oh, I don't even, and it was just a picture. He put me there. I know I'd be dead because I'd just fall off. I just, woo, you know, that's why I do not, I do not want to go there. But it's having that, you know, from your gut, a really, really deep concern for other people. And, you know, it's, it was really interesting. You know, we had a situation this past week, you know, that comes to mind, you know, where we have people that come onto the campus and visit and, you know, we have to make determinations, you know, whether we help them or we can't help them. And, and you have to be prayerful about that. And I'm always, it's always neat when you see, you know, God working in a situation. There's a guy, he's now staying on our campus. You, you, you might get to see him. Uh, his name is Josh. And, uh, and hopefully you get to hear his testimony here, you know, in the future. And uh, it just happened, you know, we've all met him and we've all reached out to him. But what one day, you know, Mike Atkinson was having a conversation with him. When Mike left, he felt like the Lord wanted him to go back and, and, and spend time with Josh. And he did. And the next thing you know, the, you know, Josh is taking a shower and he's got cleaned up and, and uh, he's got a good night's sleep and we've learned a little bit more of his story. Now we're, we're, we're invested in this, this kid's life, you know, young man's life and, and trying to help him. And, and that happens because people become tender hearted that you feel things for other people that again, don't can't, there's nothing in the sense that Josh could give us in return. This is like a one-way investment. And, and then, then you have, and again, it's just how the Lord, the Lord works. Then we have a guy that, you know, many of you guys know, you know, George and George, you know, has been in and out of, uh, of prison for just numerous things for the most part, just because, uh, really our system is trying to protect him. Um, he, he's a kid that deals with uh, really deep schizophrenia and, uh, he'll, when he comes onto the campus, he's reached a point because he's not getting treatment for it. And we, we offer to help him. We offer to take him. We offer to do everything. I mean, you can't even hardly have a conversation, you know, with him. And unfortunately, you know, um, so you look at two different scenarios and you have one guy that you can help and you have another guy that you can't help. And one guy that, you know, again, when you talk about being tender hearted, you go, you can 
treat them with kit gloves and the other guy you have to you know just say okay enough is enough and you know you 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 have to go and 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 then there's where the enemy comes in at that point and there's this struggle of you know are we really helping and i try to you know remind you all the time that you know nobody can help everybody but everybody can help somebody amen and just how different the world would be just this week if we all just made an investment in just one person's life. I'm not saying go out and reach the world. I'm just talking about just deny yourself, not just for a moment in time where you go, oh, you know, I like I tell you, you know, I, I buy the guy at Starbucks, you know, coffee, you know, who's behind me. That, that isn't that isn't what I'm talking about. That's not really denying yourself. It's sacrifice. It's like David said, I won't offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing is that there's a sacrifice of your entire being. When you can say that, you know what, I'm sacrificing at the gut level, that, that this is impacting me because you're, you're you know, wrestling with it. That was one of the things I appreciated when Mike shared the story about Josh is that he'd walked away from it and he felt the Lord had put this burden in his gut. It was just something he felt at a gut level. It wasn't just in his head. It wasn't just in his heart. It actually went past that and it reached a gut level. And it won't happen all the time. But it, when it does, there's something wonderful that, that does in, in the life of the person who experiences it. And most of the time in the life of the people who are the benefactors because of it. You know, we have to ask ourselves, you know, always, you know, we think about being tenderhearted. I mean, is the church, are we here to be an aquarium, you know, for the saints? Or is this a hospital for sinners? And you know what? If we're honest, most of us like it to be an aquarium for the saints, we like to come and we, we like to, we meet the same exact people that we meet every week. We greet the same people that we greet every week. We sit basically in the same place and then we leave and we have no interaction with God whatsoever through people. And, and that's really sad for us because, you know, here's Jesus going, you know, when did you, you know, when did you see me? And when did you, you know, because they were asking the Lord, the Lord, when did, when did we minister to you? And he said, as you've done unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And they said, well, Lord, when, when did we see? And he said, when I was, you know, hungry and you gave me food, you know, our Together We Can ministry gives us that opportunity to minister to people who are hungry or just people that come on onto our campus. When was I thirsty and you gave me drink? You know, when was I naked and, and, and you gave me clothes? When was I imprisoned? You know, and, and Jesus said, as you've done unto the least of these. I mean, to think he said, you've done it to me. See, we get this thing as, oh, I'm doing this for the Lord. No, he's going, no, 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 no. If you think that, you missed it. He goes, no, I'm saying when you do it for the least of these, you're doing it to me. Because that's exactly how it was when Jesus walked this earth. Remember, he wasn't the best looking guy on campus. He was somebody that people would have just walked past. They wouldn't even have given a second look to. That's what made his sacrifice so amazing. And for people to follow him, because he, there was nothing to him in that regard other than what? His love. Love. Because he is love. Because God is love. Number five, this final one, you know, when you look at uh, this chart here this morning, is be courteous. Or better put, be humble-minded. Be humble-minded. Always give you a text. It's not in the notes, but if you're a note taker, just go back and read, you know, Philippians 2. That's always a great text, being humble minded, because it gives you a picture of what Jesus did on the cross for us. F.B. Meyer, in his commentary, wrote this. He says, I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves one above the other. And the taller you grow in Christian grace, the more easily you can take them. He says, I have now come to realize that God's gifts are on shelves one below the other. And it's not a matter of growing taller, but of stooping lower. Boy, that, that's so good. Stooping is being humble-minded. It's preferring others over ourselves. You know, and if you thought, you know, <laughs> verse 8 was tough. I mean, Peter was speaking really in, in our relationship with other believers. And then you jump to verse 9, and he talks about, you know, really our love, those that they, they could be, you know, fellow believers that, you know, that have become an enemy. But really, these are probably people on the outside. And, and yet, it doesn't make the, any difference to God. See, liking somebody is a choice that you get to, that you get to make. A friendship is, is a choice that you get to choose who your friends are. But loving people is not a choice. Loving people, all people, is not an option with God. And that's so important that we, we get that. 
You know, you ever heard the expression, kill them with kindness? You know, I, I use that expression weekly with people. I'll be counseling with people and they're going, Pastor Mike, what do I do in this situation? This person's doing this. I go, kill them with kindness. Kill them with kindness. That's all I have to remind them. And, and because we've had so much dialogue about these situations, they go, okay, you know, I get it. Kill them with kindness. That's the only way that you, it works. Because now here's where <laughs> you talk about a chart and really seeing where we as the church and many today, we're missing the mark. Look at verse nine. It says, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. You remember in the Garden of Eden, like I said, or excuse me, the Garden of Gethsemane, wrong garden, Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus was being arrested on the night of his betrayal. And Peter was there and the servant of the high priest came and Peter whacked off his, his ear uh, with a sword. Thank God that he was a fisherman and not a swordsman. Uh, well, otherwise, we'd have had a whole different scenario. It would have been a better miracle, I could tell you that, because Jesus would have healed the guy. Can you imagine taking his head off and, and then Jesus going, oh, and then putting it back? That would have been cool. But it was just an ear. That's all, that's all that it was on there. I know it's just a visual, though, but, you know, you, it's a guy thing. But, you know, but, uh, you know what does Jesus do? He heals, he heals the guy. And, and what is he telling Peter? He says, Peter. You know, he says, that's not how we fight. My, my followers aren't swordsmen, okay? Oh, they have a sword, all right. It's the sword of what? The spirit, the word of God. And we're going to start fighting with the word of God. And see, that even, you look at even with the election coming up today, man, we are, you know, it's guns versus no guns. You know, it's this versus this. And you go, and Jesus is going, if that's what it was, my, man, my disciples would fight. He goes, but that's not, that's not what it's about. When we get into that, we're, we're, pointing, we're pointing in the wrong direction. What we need to do is point everything to the cross of what Jesus Christ has already accomplished for us. You know, in the Old Testament, obviously, in Exodus 21, 24, this was the, the, the mandate, the law of retribution, right? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But see, there was a limitation. Even God had to place a limitation on our retribution because you go, why? Well, if you take out one of my eyes, what am I going to do? I'm taking out both of yours, right? It's just, it just demonstrates the human heart. And we see it today, you know, in, in so many people's lives. Payback, you know, is what? It's worse than the initial offense. Verse nine goes on. It says, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. You, you don't want to miss this. You know, you'll get blessed when you what? When you blessed, you know, instead of doing what feels right, you know, in the moment. Persecutions on earth today, I have this in my notes. Persecution on earth today will add blessings in heaven tomorrow. Man, that's hard to do, though, isn't it? When you're being persecuted to turn the other cheek. I mean, man, now we want eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But th see, this is this is what, you know, this is all leads up to. You know, here's in Matthew uh, 5.11, Jesus said this on the Sermon of the Mount. He said, blessed are you when they revile you and they persecute you and they say all kinds of evil against you. He said, for what? For my sake. He said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great, what? Is your reward. Where's it at? Great is your reward in heaven. Yeah, in heaven. Being heavenly minded. That's where the blessing comes from. You know, can you say that today? That, that, that's where you're at. You know, when you look at your maturity, are you heavenly minded today? Or are you just so frustrated and so motivated and driven by the things that are around you? Well, then look at verse 10 with me. It says, for he who would love life. This is really what it came down to today. He who would love life and what? See good days. What does he tell us to do? It says, and let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So here in, in verses 10 through 12, Peter speaks of, of the good life for those who are, are loving life. And they're not just going through life. I mean, you talk to people, hey, how's it going for you? Oh, yeah. It's like Eeyore, right? Oh, yeah. it's Christians. Like I said, 
we, we think of that, you know, I share this with you all the time. The word enthusiasm, you know, comes from Greek words, right? In, in theos, in God. Those that are in God should be the most enthusiastic people on this planet. But we, Christians today, we're, we're so caught up in the world. That's why. And we're looking at all the things around. If we were really paying attention to scripture and we're seeing what, what scripture is telling us and we're looking, you know, it, it was like, I had this really, just to be honest with you, I had this really eerie feeling this morning. It was so cool. Uh, I always get up around four o'clock, sometimes earlier on Sunday morning. And that's just when I really just start to, okay, Lord, here's all the stuff. What do you really want me to say? I know what I want to say, but what do you want me to say? And I'm sitting there and I could hear this. It was like the sound of a horn or something. It was about four o'clock this morning. It was so faint. And uh, so I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I got chills. And I was like, is that the trumpet? I mean, seriously, I go, I, I go, is that the trumpet? And it was like, so I'm just sitting there like, I mean, I've, I promise, I promise you before God, I've never had this, this thought or this sensation or this feeling ever in my life until today. So I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm waiting. I'm like, we're out of here. I, I mean, seriously, it was just like this thing. I go, we're, we're out of here. And the hair in my arms, man, it was like, it stood up and I kept hearing it. And then I was like, I picked my computer up and I was like, going, is it me? And then I'm listening. I go, is it outside? Is it, am I just hearing things in my head? You know, and, uh, but it was one of the things and I put it down. I just started to laugh, but it was a, it was a joy of going. It was like, because in my own heart, I've gone, I'm looking for that. You know, I, I'm living with this expectation. Jesus is going to come and rescue me. I need to be rescued. You know, I hope you, you feel you need to be rescued because I'm looking around at the world today and I don't think it's going to fix itself. I don't think it's going to matter who's in the White House. You know, it really, it's like I said, the answer and the solution is in God's house. Amen. And God is seated on his throne and, and we, we need to be prepared for that. And so, you know, here's Peter talking about that is, and, and if you want to love life today, and, and, and I believe that you do, I believe that's one of the reasons why you're here. If you really want to love life, it's, it's no secret, you know, in this is you got to believe that God's in control. If you believe God's in control, that's 99.9. That's why, you know, from a uh, hermeneutical standpoint studying the Bible, you know, it's like they'll, they'll tell us, you know, Bible college. And, and if you can believe Genesis 1, 1, you, you're good to go for the rest of the Bible. So you can believe in the beginning God and you go, and you don't have to go and question everything. You go, I accept and I believe and I trust God is God and he's in control. You go, you're going to do really well from that point on. It's when people get all sideways from there and are trying to disprove in the sense, the existence of God or, you know, what was there before God and how did that all come about? You go, but just trusting and believing God. You believe that God's in control. Can you say that with me this morning? God is in control. God is in control. And that's what we need to be reminding each other of. See, when, when, and do you can do this for a husband, for a wife, you know, and, and maybe at first they'll, they'll, they'll not appreciate it, but in their heart of hearts, they'll know it. When they start to just spin off and complain about everything and gossip about everything and gripe about everything, you just go, hey, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. And they go, what? And you go, say it with me. God is in control. And they'll go, oh, shut up. You know, like, because why? Because they know that's true. God is in control. And, and, and if God's in control, then should we be all worried about everything that's going on around us? Should we, should we be fretting everything and fighting and arguing about it? And they go, no, all these other things can come into practice. And so Peter here uses this word for, and then he goes on. Why? And he quotes Psalm 34 in the Old Testament. And you can study that for yourself, but it's really neat. You know, I just want to end with this here this morning. You know, flip with me, if you would, to Psalm 34 here. So Peter, he must, this must mean something to him because he quotes it three times right here in this text. He, he's telling, you know, his audience, you know, here, the reason that we do anything is because God says so in his word. So you and I, as we look at our lives and the things that we do that we can go, I'm just doing what I'm doing because God says to do that in his word. And, and, if you, and if you're doing that, then you go, man, you're going to feel good. You're going to love life. You go, why? And you go, because I'm doing what God says to do in his word. If you're not loving life today, it's really simple. You're not doing what God says to do in his word. God is not a killjoy. 
God is a blessing God. That's what he wants to do. He wants to bless our lives. So you, you are the answer to your own question, you know, with regard to, you know, my loving life today. And you go, and the question is, am I loving God? If you're loving God and you're obeying his word, I mean, I have a, a feeling for God, but no, you love him all the way down in your gut. He's got all the way to your intestines, your kidney and your liver kidneys. You know, people probably, Pastor Michael, I have one kidney? No, two. Kidneys, liver. Look at this in verse 11 of Psalm 34. He says, come, you children, listen to me. He says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. You know, like I said, even though David's got all kinds of trouble on his hands, you know, he's, he's fleeing from Saul. You know, he's, he ended up there with Abimelech, you know, and down there in Gath, you know, it was, uh, think about, <laughs> here he is, you know, acting like he's, he's a crazy man, you know, spittles running down his face and he's scratching at the door of the city gate and finally Abimelech's, I got enough crazy people here. I don't need another one. David, get out of here, you know, and it's kind of an embarrassing moment in his life and he's hiding in a cave from, from Saul. But he starts the Psalm, Psalm 34 with, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. And you go, wow, you would have thought he was sitting on the, you know, like that song, sitting in the morning sun, sitting on the dock of the bay, like he was, you know, life was easy. But this was probably one of the most difficult moments in his life. And yet he's going, I will bless the Lord at all times. And so as you look at that, you know, down in the chapter there, so he says, come and I will teach you to fear. He says, who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. And that's what Here's what Peter's quoting there in 1 Peter 3.10. He says, do you, do, you want, you, you, do you want to love life? Peter says, do this. Keep your tongue from evil. So when hard times come, what do you need to do? It isn't usually in hard times when our tongue gets you know, a little bit off. It's not when things are going good. It's when things are hard. Or we're upset or we're angry about something. Why me? Why this? Why now? And then next thing you know, blah. You know. And keep your lips from speaking deceit. What is that? Murmuring, complaining. Again, because what do we do when we're murmuring and complaining? The truth since we're speaking against God. I mean, think about this. Listen, listen to what I just said. When you murmur, when you complain, you're speaking against God. Because why? Well, what do we just agree on? Who's in control? God. So is God allowing that situation in your life? You go, yes, and he's doing it for what reason? I don't know. You don't know. That's why we need faith. Amen. All things work together for good. All things work together for good. You know, hit my ruby red slippers together. You know, it's like, are you sure? You know, yes, all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Keep your lips from speaking deceit. Not trying to manipulate the situation to make it easier. Verse 14 says, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Turn your back on evil is what Peter says. You know, what do we do? When you think about when people do evil things, a lot of times the excuse will be this just like what's happening right now with COVID-19, right? People are going, oh, well, they're suffering. So they were suffering. And, and so that's why they're rioting because they're suffering. So like, because they're suffering, that gives them a right to become lawless, right? And yet for some people, they, that's what the world does. So you go, oh, I, I get it. But the Bible tells us, no, we're to do what? We are not to go down that road. It says, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Man, just think if we could live by that as a country today, if that was our motto. In other words, you know what Peter's saying? You want a miserable life? You, if you want to be miserable, here is the formula for misery. Compromise. Compromise. Compromise the word of God in your life. And guess what? <laughs> You'll become miserable in no time at all. And so <laughs> you think about this. You need another motivation? If all those things aren't motivation enough, look at verse 15 there in Psalm 34. It says, the eyes of the Lord are open and they're on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. What is God doing? You know, those that are loving him and looking to him, he's protecting them. And he's what? He's listening to the cry of your heart. He hears you. Matter of fact, the scripture says that he bottles up every tear, even in the midst of your pain and your hurt and your sorrow. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. And then here's the big but, but. Don't you hate that? You ever get called into your boss's office? You know, 
hey, I just want to tell you, hey, so, so, how's it going? And I uh, just want to tell you today, but, and then you go, as soon as you hear but, that pretty much says what? That erases everything that just was said. And you're going, oh, I'm going to get it. He says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So do you have to worry about people that are doing evil? Is that your job or my job? No. Whose job is it? God's. Do you think he has good records? Yeah. Do you think he forgets? No. Thank God he chooses not to remember though. Amen. So we can confess our sin to him and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As far as the east is from the west, he forgives our sin and he remembers them no more. But that's not because he forgets. He chooses. That's what love does. Love chooses to not remember the wrong. It says in verse 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as a contrite spirit. You think about that. You ever gone through a, a hard time and you wondered, where's God? Where's God in all this? Remember Mary on the first Easter? She went to the tomb and it was empty. She was sorrowful. Realized Jesus wasn't there in her heart. It was broken. And then she hears a voice, which she thinks is the gardener. And he says, what seekest thou? And she thought, like I said, it was the gardener. She said, they took away my Lord. And I don't know where they've laid him. And then he said, Mary. And it was the way he said it that she understood. And in that moment, it was Jesus. What seems like the worst moment of your life, I just want you to understand and know, God is right there. He made a promise to us that he would never leave us and that he would never forsake us. See, it all comes back. You, you want to have a good life? You want to enjoy life? Is realize God's in control, that he's always there. Because it's when we lose sight of the fact that he's there, that's when we become covetous. That's when we begin to, to want what we don't have. Because when you realize, you know, that old expression, and it's, and it's so true, I didn't realize Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. And Peter's reminding the church that then, and I want to remind you today, you know, whatever COVID is doing to our country, and it's devastating it in many ways, uh, not just loss of life and health, but business. And you look at church life. I mean, this is, this is what happens. We're, we're being ravaged, you know, by this. And you go, but is God still faithful? You go, amen. All these things he told us would happen before. And he said, they're like birth pangs. We don't have to panic. We don't have to live in fear. But we, what we need to do is come back to his word. Set our affections where? On the things up above and not on the things of the earth. I put my notes here and I close with this. You know, the easier life is, the less people enjoy it. Think about that. The easier life is, the less people enjoy it. I want you to think about that this week. So when you're going through trials, it's not because God wants to hurt you. It's because he wants to help you. Because the more struggles there are in life, the more trials that we face in our life, what happens each and every time? I don't cry out to the world. I cry out to God. And can crying out to God ever be a bad thing? in the life of a believer. And you go, no. And you go, but I lose sight of it. You know, I say, why me? Why now? Why this? And God is working in all those things, not to harm us, but because he has a future and a hope for us. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. We'll pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, this morning, as we close, we just, Lord, thank you so much for being so faithful to us. And Lord, as we, we look at these lists and these charts here in scripture, I pray that they would encourage us and not discourage us, that, Lord, it would be, in a sense, a, an opportunity for us to look within our heart and see where we're at with you. And, Lord, if we don't know you today as, as Savior and Lord, that, God, these things would be characteristics that we would want in, in our lives. And, Lord, to have those, we know that it, it only can be possible because of a relationship with you. And, Lord, wherever we're at today, we can open our heart to you and we can say, Jesus Come into my life and save me from my sins. Be my savior. Be the Lord of my life. And 
Lord, fill me with your spirit that these characteristics could be worked in me because, Lord, I want to love life. But, Lord, I've been looking at this world as the source of my joy and, and my happiness. And, Lord, it's, it's let me down. But, Lord, thank you that you've never let me down. Thank you that you're using all these things to teach me that this earth is not my home. It's why Peter was talking to them as pilgrims, that sojourners, people who were passing through. And, Lord, may we each recognize that today, that, God, this isn't our home. and We can set up our, our affections, our treasures in heaven where neither moth can destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. That It's safely there in advance. And so, Lord, that's what we choose today, Lord. We choose to remind one another when we're together that, God, you're good all the time, that you're not against us, that you're for us. And Lord, may the world, when they look at the church, when they look at this church, may they see your love. I thank you so much for this congregation and these people that are here. I thank you for our ushers and our greeters and our worship team and our, our IT guys and sound and all the, all the things that security and all the things that happen on this campus and the coffee shop and the cafe, just opportunities for us to love people in your name. May we not be so caught up in ourselves and just our own friendships that we don't remember on a week-to-week -week basis that, Lord, this is supposed to be a hospital for hurting people. And God, you want to work in and through us to minister your love to them. But Lord, we confess, Lord, without you, we can't do it. Uh, Lord, it's easy to become bitter. It's easy to become angry and frustrated. All we have to do is get out in the world. But yet that's where you want us to be because you said, with you, all things are possible. And so, Lord, we, we ask right now that you fill us up with your spirit, Lord. That, Lord, the things that we speak to this week, the things that we touch, the things that radiate from our life would be a reflection of you. For your glory, Lord, we pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. We all agreed saying amen, amen, amen. We'll send you out with song today. And again, thank you for being here on this Sunday morning. May the Lord bless you as you go. And, and uh, if you need prayer, we'll be right up here and we'd love to pray with you. But love on each other as you go and have a wonderful, wonderful day in Jesus.
Crucified to save 